Well, good morning. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn with me, if you will, to the book of 3 John. 3 John this morning. We're going to look at the entire book. If you got your phones, you can turn there as well. Some of you, by the way, and I'll kind of deal with the elephant in the room, some of you are wondering who I am. Some of you may even have considered the fact that Doug stepped in a time machine, got contacts, and went crazy at the gym. The answer is no, I'm not Pastor Doug, and I, and I hope, by the way, that you will come back next week to hear him, as he'll be back next week. Uh, for those of you I haven't had the pleasure to meet, my name is Kent, and my wife and I, uh, kids, have been here for about six months as members. I've uh, been at the main campus at Cross Life for significantly longer, and I have had the privilege of being in ministry now just over 21 years. And I want to tell you, I get to preach a lot of places, but there's no place like home. And so it's great to be here with you guys. I will say it didn't work out so well for Jesus, but I hope better things will happen today. So turn with me again, if you will, to the book of 3 John, if you haven't done so already. And while you're doing that, let me just say one other thing about Pastor Doug. In 21 years of ministry, I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of guys in ministry. Some I respect, some I no longer respect, some I did respect and don't respect. And Doug is one of the finest that I have ever worked with. I really and genuinely mean that. And I hope you guys understand how blessed we are to have him here as our pastor. Now, he didn't tell me to say any of that, by the way, so he's going to hear that on the tape. So as we get into the book of 3 John, we're continuing in our sermon series called One Hit Wonders, and these are small books with a huge impact. And as we get to the book of 3 John, I want to set up some things in this book so that you understand where we're coming from. But I want to say this about the book of 3 John, okay? I believe that the book of 3 John is the perfect book for today. And the reason that I believe that is because of the fact that we live in a world where there is an absence of truth. Has anybody seen that today in this world? Okay, everybody agrees with that. There is an absence of truth in this world. And I wonder, is it any wonder that as we look around the world and we see an absence of truth, that we see truth missing, that the world is burning? I, I heard a quote this week, and it was dealing with the truth, and I thought this perfectly captured this society today. And that, that, that quote is this, you will know the truth by how it feels. See, we live in a day and age where truth is no longer objective, it's subjective. It's not based on fact, it's based on feeling. And is it any wonder in this kind of world that we live in that God is gone, riots are right, love is lost, truth is taboo, and believing in Christ is crazy? I mean, that's the world we live in today. When you look around the world, we are missing the truth. And 3 John, I believe, is the perfect book for today. And the reason that I say that is, if you were to look through the book of 3 John, you would actually find that the word truth is used seven times in 15 verses. That's a lot of occurrences. And so immediately when you look at this book, that stands as a red flag. Now, in order to understand the book of 3 John, we need to go back to the book of 1 John, okay? Because 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John are all very similar. And last week we heard from Pastor Doug on, on 2 John, and I'll come to that, but I want to go back to 1 John first because I noticed something that was happening as a trend in John's writing, okay? So if you were to start with the book of 1 John, what you would notice is that John focuses primarily on the word love. When you look in the book of 1 John, you'll see the word love used an, an enormous amount of times, okay? Uh, then when you look at the book of 2 John, he uses the words love and truth about the same amount of times. But when you get to the book of 3 John, 
he uses the word truth significantly more than he uses the word love. And I begin to ask myself the question, okay, why would John, like if we look back at the gospel of John, we see that the, the word love is used all over the gospel of John, right? But, so why would John start with love in the gospel of John, continue with love in 1 John, and shift all the way to the truth in 3 John? What in the world happened that made him do that? And I think that the answer is that the people of God began to pursue truth at the expense of love. That they had lost the, 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 this concept of love and truth being together. And if you remember what Pastor Doug said last week about 2 John, he said that the truth and love always go hand in hand. So we cannot have love without truth, and we cannot have truth without love. So as we get to the book of 3 John, what we're seeing is that John is basically saying, hey, listen, guys, you've been pursuing love, okay, but you cannot do that without truth. There cannot be truth without love, and there cannot be love without truth. And so as we get to the book of uh, to this series that is 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, I want to set the stage for a moment and give you exactly what's going on in these books. See, John has been dealing with a series of house churches, okay? And he's talking to these house churches about how to effectively do ministry. And what happens as he goes through this series is he runs into a number of crises within these particular churches. If you were to go back to 1 John, what you would notice is that in the book of 1 John, he deals with a, a group that caused a division within the church. And what happened was that group then decided to, uh, to split off from the church. They left the church after causing a number of divisions, and they began to deny that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. You would find that in 1 John chapter 2, 3, and 4. Then in 2 John, he's still kind of dealing with the fallout of that group. And in 3 John, he's dealing with a new group. And particularly, he's talking to a man named Gaius. Now, Gaius, we don't know very much about, okay? We know very little about him. But it seems like, from what we do know, that he was responsible for the house church that John is talking to. So he's not the pastor. He's not the elder. He's just the guy who owns the home where all of this church is meeting, okay? So that's who Gaius is. And what happens is, in the midst of Gaius's home church, a man named Diotrephes rises up and causes a significant number of problems. And we're going to see a lot about what John has to say about him. Now, Diotrephes, by the way, was likely the pastor or the elder of that particular congregation. So keep that in mind as we set the stage for 3 John. Now, if you were to try to identify a main theme in the book of 3 John, what you would find is you would find it in verse 4. I believe this sums up the entire book of 3 John. So if you're taking notes in your Bible or something, you might want to underline that verse because this is the theme verse for this particular, verse, or this particular book. And it says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Do you remember that phrase? That should sound familiar because Pastor Doug talked about that last week. And it was actually in 2 John verse 4. And we also see this verse in verse 3, the same phrase, walking in the truth, walking in the truth, walking in the truth. Three times in two books, John has mentioned this phrase. So this week as I was kind of preparing for this message, I began to think through my mind, okay, so when I think of truth, I know what truth is. So what about the word walk? What do I think of when I come to the word walk? And I just kept thinking about the word walk, walk, walk. And you want to know what came into my head? What came into my head was that stupid and annoying 80s song by the Bengals, Walk Like an Egyptian. <laughs> I know, that shows how depraved I am. And, and, and let me just say this, by the way. High schoolers, middle schoolers, I know you got phones. Don't look this up. 
listen, there are some things you're better off not knowing, okay? So how many of you here, show of hands, how many of you here know of that song, Walk Like an Egyptian? Okay, that's pretty much everybody here, just about everybody here. Show of hands, how many of you here, when you were younger, did that stupid dance that went with it? You remember the one where you're doing like this and then like this? I couldn't show you it up here because the video is just too bad to show. I mean, it's, it's totally inappropriate for church. So a lot of you did that dance. Now, now here's, my, here's my question, okay? This is for you, those of you who didn't raise your hand. How many of you didn't raise your hand because you were too embarrassed to raise your hand? Because you actually did. Yeah, there's some out there. I see. I, thank you for being honest. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that honest. Listen, I, I get it. The 80s were an embarrassment, okay? About the only person who loved the 80s was Star-Lord. So those of you who are Marvel fans, you'll get that. So, so walk like an Egyptian. That was what came into my mind. And I started to think about that song, and I said, okay, maybe the Lord put this song into my mind for a reason. It's weird. I get it. But sometimes God works in mysterious ways. So I said, okay, I'm going to allow this train of thought to go, and we'll just see where it goes, and I'll determine whether it's from God or the devil. And so... So I let this, this train of thought proceed, and I, and I started to look up this song. And so I went to a website called songsmeaningfacts.com, and I said, okay, let's get some information about songs. I really don't know much about it other than, you know, all the Egyptian dances and on the roller skating ring, everybody's doing that. So I was like, okay, let's look this up. So as I'm going through this song, I'm, I'm reading a, a, a blurb about what this song is about. And it actually, the inspiration for this song had nothing to do with Egypt, had nothing to do with Egyptians, Okay. The inspiration for this song actually came to Liam Sternberg, the, the writer of the song, when he was on a ferry, and he was watching people as the boat shifted back and forth, and they were trying to stabilize themselves, and it reminded him of the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs that he had seen in history books. Now, I want you to catch a significant truth from this, okay? What he saw people doing, how he saw them walking, pointed him to something else. When we get to the book of 3 John, that is exactly what John is telling us. The way we walk matters because the way we walk will either point people to Jesus Christ or point people away from him. So as we get to the book of 3 John, that is what John is telling us is how to walk in the truth. And I want to talk to you today about not how to walk like an Egyptian, but how to walk like a Christian. How to walk in the truth. So pick up with me, if you will, in verses 1 through 4. We're not going to read uh, all this and have you stand because it's a significant portion of Scripture. But I want to read verses 1 through 4, and then I'll outline where John's going to go, okay? Verse 1 says this. The elders to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Pray with me, if you will. God, right now, we just ask that you would speak to us through your word. We ask that you would give us clarity. We ask that you would help us to see what you have for us in this tiny book that has such a huge impact about how to walk in the truth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we're going through the book of 3 John, I want to show you really three principles here that I believe that John is showing us about how to walk in the truth, okay? The first one is this. He wants us to understand that we must reward those who repeat the truth, 
Okay, that's the first principle. We must reward those who repeat the truth. Look at what he says in verses 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So what John is telling us here was going on was that there were a number of guest preachers who were coming into this church to, to preach to the congregation in Gaius' home. And John wants Gaius to know that, look, okay, when these preachers come in, don't just take care of them well, okay? Take care of them excellently. Make sure that everything that they need is, suppl is supplied. He's telling them, you need to be generous. You need to treat them as if they were God there himself. Make sure that they have everything that they need, that they're fully supplied. And you know, as I was thinking about this, I realized something. It's very easy for us to get this wrong, isn't it? It's very easy for us to get wrapped up in what we want and forget about what God's people need. I was thinking back um, a few years ago, my son and I were sitting down and, and they were getting ready to go to a homeschool conference. And I was just, I was, we were sitting there talking and, and my son was kind of confused about what this conference was going to be about. And so he asked me, he said, hey, so what is this thing that we're going to? And I said, well, I said, I don't know all the details. I just know it's Compassion International, and it's, it's meant to help kids who don't have any food or water. And he said, well, then why do we need to go? And I said, well, I just told you, because we're going to learn about how to help kids who don't have any food and water. And he said, well, I get that. He said, but we have plenty of food and water. So, you know, the thing about it is, he wasn't wrong, okay, but he missed the point. He was right about the fact that we did, but he missed the point about the fact that it wasn't what we had, it was about what other people had. And so as John is, is talking to us here, he understands that it's very easy to miss the point. So he gives us really here three reasons why we want to give. Three reasons why we want to be sacrificial in our generosity. The first of these is because of who God is. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, For they have gone out for the sake of the name. Now, the name there represents the entirety of all who God is and all that he has done. So the first thing that John tells us about sacrificial generosity is it starts with who God is. If we understand who God is and the fact that he has created everything for us, he has given everything to us, and he's given us his son, which is the best that he can possibly give to save us, then that generosity should overflow through us because of who God is, because of the sake of the name. But he tells us also because of what they need. Not just because of who God is, but because of what they need. Notice what he says again in verse 7. He says, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, I want to say something here about this, okay? We cannot and should not expect God's work to be done by a lost world. It's our responsibility, and John wants us to know that. And it's, so they were beginning to think, people today have begun to think that, you know, we can just go out and ask the lost world for money. It's okay. You know, when we get in dire straits or we have problems, we can just go out and ask the world for money. And I'll tell you what, I've been a part of some churches that did that, and I cringe every time I see that. And I'll tell you a couple of reasons I cringe. Number one, I cringe because a lot of times when the church goes out to the world and asks for money, I see the church people living lavishly while the church is suffering. Now, be honest about that. I've seen that. 
The other reason I cringe is because the lost world thinks that the only thing we want from them is their money, and when we go out and ask them, we are validating that concern. Listen, God's work is done by God's people. And I want to brag on this church for a moment, okay? So let me do that, because this is one of the most generous churches I've ever seen. I mean, think about it. We raised $220,000 to purchase land in three months when people said it couldn't be done. And the reason we did was because you gave generously. That's the reason we did. And that's exactly what John is talking about. It's not just giving the minimum. It's giving above. It's giving generously. It's giving sacrificially. But before I move on, I want to say one more point about this here, okay? John has in mind that these ministers should have everything they need, not everything they want. And today, that might be a little different in how that looks today, because the, re- the reality is God's ministry isn't meant to be a pathway to money. But we're seeing that a lot in our world today. And what John is saying is, hey, make sure that all their needs are taken care of. But listen, it's not about everything they want. It's about what they need to be able to faithfully do the ministry that God's called them to. So he said, okay, because of who God is, he says, because of what they need, But also third, he says, because of why we help. Now, if you were to look at verse 8, you would think that perhaps the reason why would be because we ought to support these people or because of uh, hospitality, as some of your translations will say. But that's not actually the reason, okay? That's what we're supposed to do, but it's not why we're supposed to do it. The why comes just after that in verse 8. It says here that we may be fellow workers for the truth. See, the reason we give sacrificially, the reason John calls us to give generously to support the ministry and to support the ministers in the ministry is because of the fact that the truth of God matters. Because of the fact that there is a lost world that needs to hear that truth that Jesus is the only way to be saved. That's the reason we give. The reason we give is so that the gospel can go out and it can lead people to a living faith in Jesus Christ. And so the first principle that John gives us here is that we must reward those who repeat the truth. But he gives us a second principle, and this one's very interesting, okay? We must rebuke those who reject the truth. So we've got to reward those who repeat the truth, but we also have to rebuke those who reject the truth. Now, what does he mean here? Look at what he says in verses 9 through 10. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come... I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Now, if you remember earlier, I mentioned the fact that there's seven times in 15 verses that we see this this phrase, truth. Now, what's very interesting is when you get to the verses 9 through 10, you know what you don't see? The word truth. Not one mention in the word truth. And that ought to raise a red flag about who Diotrephes is and what he is doing. And John is actually going to give us a little bit of information about Diotrephes. And he tells us that Diotrephes was so bad that he actually intercepted a letter from John that was intended for that church and destroyed it. So what we are reading is probably actually 4th John, and 3rd John was destroyed by Diotrephes. So we could have potentially had another part of the word of God that would have been in here, but Diotrephes, who loves to be, as it says in scripture here, put, who loves to put himself first, destroyed that, that communication from John to this congregation. John MacArthur notes of this, uh, of this putting himself first thing, that it shows a continual pattern in his life, and it indicates that he was selfish, self-centered, and self-seeking. 
And I'll tell you what's really scary about this is that he was one of the leaders of this church. Now, John elaborates for us a little bit more about what Diotrephes was doing in verse 10. He says he's talking wicked nonsense. He's not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers, so he's basically keeping people out. And he also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. So Diotrephes has essentially become the dictator of this church. And I want to show you something here that's very interesting, okay? So John says he's going to rebuke him, but it's implied also that, that Gaius should rebuke him as well. Now, nothing we've seen in this communication indicates that Gaius was in any way a pastor or elder of this church. But you know what? He still had a responsibility to rebuke somebody who was rejecting the truth anyway. And that's something that you and I still have a responsibility to do. Now, I want to tell you, I thank God that we are in a healthy church like this that is growing, that's vibrant, but it only takes one second for division to enter into the church. I'll never forget early on in ministry, back when I had first gotten called to, to preach, and man, I was just excited to get a chance to preach anywhere. It's the same now. It hasn't changed, and, and just I, I didn't care where. I didn't care how many people. It doesn't matter if it's 20 people, 200. I don't, I don't care. I just want to preach. So I got a call to preach, and it was across town, a church uh, on the other side of Orlando. I said, okay, you know, I'll go out to preach. Pastor called me out. I'm like, hey, you don't even have to say any more. Don't, don't tell me anything about money. I don't care. I'm just going to come out and preach. So I did. And when I got there, I noticed that this building was massive. I mean, you, you got to understand, okay, back then, I, I've been preaching to churches like 20, 30 people. So when I see this, this, this massive building, it starts to make me a little nervous, Okay. So I, I walk into the church, and I look around and just in awe of the fact that sanctuary could probably sit three, maybe 400 people, probably closer to 400 people. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, I'm, I'm just in over my head. I've never preached this many people before. I thought, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter. I'll just do what I always do, just preach the gospel and, and let God deal with the rest. So I, I, it's time for the service got closer, and I, I was waiting for people to come in, and I noticed that people were coming in, but not as many as I expected. In fact, it was significantly lower than I expected given the size of that building. By the time I got up to preach, I looked around and there were about 35 people in that room. And I said, you know what, doesn't matter, don't care, I'm going to preach anyway, so I did. And then when I got done, I sat down with a pastor and I said, hey, I just got a question for you. What in the world happened here? I said, where is everybody? And he said, well, back a couple of months ago, we had some leaders who disagreed with me on something. It was, it was a minor issue in scripture. And those leaders began to form together, and they created a group. And that group began to expand and got larger and larger. And those minor problems became major divisions. And they began to slander the pastor, and they began to argue with the pastor and argue with people in the church. And, and just a few months before I had come to preach, over 100 people had left that church. And he said, and that wasn't the worst of it, because he said, then after that, people just began to stop coming because they thought that the church was dead. They thought that it was just too divisive and nobody wanted to come. And so he said, here's where we are today. Now, let me be clear about something. There are some truths worth defending and dividing over, but there are some people who will take major, minor issues and make major problems out of them, and they will poison the body of Christ. And they will do it in rapid speed. And you and I have a responsibility to put that down, to put a stop to it. How many of you remember the old Smokey the Bear? I, by the way, I found out those commercials are still on today. Like It's like 
40 years later, and he's still running. But, but Smokey the Bear used to say this. He said, only you can prevent forest fires, right? That's what Smokey the Bear used to say. There's a spiritual truth in that. You have the ability to prevent forest fires. But in order to prevent the fires of division, you've got to stamp out the embers of divisiveness. Now, maybe you're saying, well, look, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. How do I know if this is the right thing to do or the right thing to say? You know what? That's what God gave you church leaders for. That's what he put pastors and elders and deacons over you for. That's why he gave you people like Doug and Elijah to give you direction. So if you have a question, go to them. Don't, don't let that divisiveness, divisiveness simmer. Stamp it out. That's what God wants us to do. We have a responsibility to address this. And I will tell you this, okay? When you do this, you're not going to be popular. When you stamp out divisiveness, you are not going to be popular. People are not going to like you. People will, you know, send you anonymous letters. I've received anonymous letters before for doing this. People will tell you you're not loving them like Jesus says to love them, even though Jesus was the one who gave us these instructions. He did, right? Matthew chapter 18, how many of you remember that? He gave us a specific process to address divisiveness in the church, and it culminates with removing people who are divisive from the church. And you know what? None of that matters. None of what they said matters. You know why? Because Jesus told us to do it, and that's good enough. See, the reality is we have to be willing to stop divisiveness before it starts. And look, we hope it never gets to culmination of, of removing people from the church. We don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. We want people to, to be united in the ministry of the gospel. But in order to do that, we got to be willing to stamp out divisiveness. That's what John is telling us here because John is having a problem with this church because they weren't doing that. And they should have been. And because of that, this church is now fractured and somebody's in complete control by the name of diatrophies. See, sin is like cancer and it only takes a little time to spread to the entire body. So John tells us, look, we've got to reward those who repeat the truth. We've got to rebuke those who reject the truth. But he gives us one more principle from here, okay? I love this. We must remain those who reflect the truth. We've got to remain people who are consistent with the truth of God's word and who are walking in the truth. Look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Did you catch what he said there in verse 11? He said, don't imitate evil, but imitate good. So the implication is that you and I are going to imitate something. We are going to be a reflection, either good or bad, right or wrong. And so John is saying, hey, make sure that that reflection that you have is good. Make sure that it points to God. Make sure you are walking in the truth. Now, he's going to actually double down on this in verse 11. He says this, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And this reminds us of what he said in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 5 through 6. He said, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so the big question for us is, what kind of reflection are we showing? 
It reminds me of a story I heard about, about a pastor who had just kind of hit his limit, and he had just decided that, you know, he couldn't preach that morning. He just needed a day off. So he called his associate pastor, lied to him, and told him that he was out sick. Said, I can't preach today. I'm sick. And he said, I need you to preach for me. Associate pastor said, okay. Pastor now had a day off. He said, okay, well, what am I going to do with my day off? He began to think to himself, he said, you know what? I'd really like to go out and play a round of golf. And so he thought about this, and he said, okay, well, I can't go to my own town because somebody here might recognize me, so i got to go to another town. So he said, I'm going to go to another town, play a round of golf. So he got out on the first hole, beautiful straight shot, par four, 457 yards. So he's sizing up the hole, lining up his shot, and he says, you know what? I think maybe I should pray about this before I hit this shot. So he says, God, I just pray that as I hit this ball, that you would just carry this ball along down the course. So he, he gets his, lines up his shot, swings through, hits it clean. And just as that ball is getting up in the air, a huge gust of wind comes from behind the ball, pushes it down the fairway, hits the green, rolls into the cup for a hole in one. The pastor's just beside himself. He can't believe it. He's like, I just hit a hole in one. He's jumping up and down, celebrating. And then he comes into his senses. He says, I don't understand. You know, here I am. I've lied to my assistant pastor. I'm, I'm skipping out on church. Why in the world would God do that? So he looks up to heaven. He says, God, here I am. I just lied to my assistant pastor. You know, I, I just uh, skipped out on, on preaching the, the gospel, preaching the word of God to, to this church. And I prayed, and, I, and you brought this wind and helped me hit a hole in one. He said, why in the world did you do that? And God responded back, who are you going to tell? <laughs> it's taking you a minute to get that one. You guys, you speed up, speed up. You know what? We can't be like that. What we do on the outside has to be a reflection of the inside, and it has to be a good reflection, not a bad reflection like that pastor. And in fact, this is so important here that John sets up a contrast for us between two men, okay? The first is Diotrephes, who is dishonest, and then he sets up contrast with Demetrius, who is honest. So we got Diotrephes, who is faithless, and we got Demetrius, who is faithful. And so he's given us this contrast to indicate to us the significance of why we serve. And basically what he's saying here is he's saying this, it has to start in here before it ever goes out there. It has to hit our hearts before it ever hits our hands. And I want to give you one foundational principle that really sums up what John is saying about walking in the truth, okay? And it's this. this if you're writing down notes, write this down. This is the foundational principle. The only way to walk obediently on the outside and to walk in the truth like we're supposed to is to walk faithfully on the inside. The only way, I'll repeat that for you one more time, to walk obediently on the outside is to walk faithfully on the inside. See, walking the truth happens, walking in the truth happens when what we believe on the inside affects how we behave on the outside. And so the question for us today is, are we going to walk in the truth? I'll never forget sitting at my first church as I was pastoring. I'd been there about a year and a half and we'd been growing exponentially. I mean, we about doubled in size in that year and a half. And I was sitting down with the deacons, and we were beginning to discuss where we were going to go next, uh, what we were going to do next as a church. And we'd gone over a number of issues, and finally one of the deacons stood up, and he said to me, Pastor, I think it's time that we stopped 
reaching out to the community and just started focusing on our own people. I'll tell you, it's one thing when you hear about illustrations like that, but it's a totally different thing when you're in that illustration. So I thought for a minute, it just kind of took the breath out of me. I didn't know what to say. I mean, what do you say to that? And so I thought for a moment, I said, I understand that you want to take care of the people in here, but I said, God's also calling us to reach out there. He's also calling us to reach the lost. That's what he's put us here for a church to do is to be a light, to be salt. And I said, besides that, I don't think that everybody else here feels that way. And one by one around that room, those deacons stood up and nodded yes and said, yes, we do believe that. I couldn't believe it. I finished up the meeting, walked outside, got on my phone, called my wife, told her what happened, and I said, you know what? We're done here. I said, I can't do anything with a church that doesn't want to reach the community. I can't do anything with a church that doesn't want to be faithful. Just recently, I had a chance to look up that church. It's been a little over 15, about 15 years since I've been there. And I had a chance to look up the church to see how they were doing. And I thought, you know what, I'll just take a peek, see what they're doing now, see if they've improved, you know, what they're changing, things like that. And as I looked up information about the church, I noticed that the church's website doesn't exist anymore. I noticed that as I looked at pictures, that there was a Facebook account that got an update maybe once every week or two, and it was basically the same thing, just pasted with a slightly different changes in the information, and it was just about one Sunday school class. And then, then I saw the pictures of the body inside, and it was so sparse. There were barely any people there. And I found out that that church is, is right now struggling to stay alive, and they're in danger of shutting down. You know, as I was thinking about that, and as I was thinking about walking in the truth, and I was thinking about this body that we're a part of here, God kind of put a contrast in my mind, and I want to share this with you, okay? If we don't walk in the truth, like that first church that I pastored, corporately, individually, we cannot stay open. But if we walk in the truth together, like Jesus showed us to, we cannot be stopped. Pray with me, if you will. Before we pray, I just want to give you a couple of next steps. And the big question I want to ask is, is what you believe on the inside affecting how you behave on the outside? Are you walking in the truth? And John's told us that just a couple of those principles are just being faithful in giving, being generous, helping those in need. He's, he's told us that, that we have to be willing to stamp out divisiveness. And it's not an easy word to hear, but it's what we need for the church to be healthy. And maybe you're here and, you, and you've seen some of that divisiveness. Maybe you're here and you've been challenged that you need to give more generously to the ministry and to support the work that's going on. Maybe you're here and, and you've heard about the need to, to reflect the truth. And you're sitting there thinking, you know what? God's been speaking to me right now. And there's some areas where I'm not reflecting the truth like I should. There's some areas where what I believe on the out inside is different than what I'm doing on the outside. You know what? Right here, right now, this is a time for you to get with God. Allow him to challenge you. Allow him to speak to you. And allow him to show you where you should go and what you should do and how you can be faithful and walk in the truth. But maybe you're here today and you've never received the truth. Maybe you're here and you've been hearing about the truth and you're just like, 
I don't understand what you're talking about. Then today, for you, it's about coming face to face with the reality of your sin and your need for Jesus Christ. It's about understanding that, that he died on your behalf to take your place and that he is the only way to be saved. And then it's just simply you confessing that and committing to follow him. And so I just want to challenge you that just as we pray, as the band plays, whatever God's dealing with you in your heart, I just want you to take that time as we're singing to just allow God to speak to you, to mold you and to change you into what he wants you to be like. God, we love you. We are grateful for this opportunity that we have to hear your word, to worship, to serve, to give. But most importantly, God, we're thankful that you gave everything for us. We're thankful, God, that you love us and that you want to continue to have us as a part of your service, and you've given us some steps to make that a reality. And God, I just pray that as a church and as individuals, we would be faithful to walk in the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.